Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing this morning, guys? Can I whisper something and you hear me? I think God is in the house this morning. You came here to connect with him. He's here. All you got to do is just look around, open your heart, hear him. Let him speak into your heart today. He's a holy God, but he's also our best friend. Thank you, Lord, for all you're doing. Thank you for our choir. Did an awesome job this morning. Amen. Appreciate those guys and all their hard work and our praise team. Just helps us to enter into the presence of God. For those of you that are new, we're in a series that, uh, uh, that we're calling Niche, Finding Life's Purpose, and we're kind of working our way through this idea of, of those two most important days, when I was born and, and then finding out why I was born. And we're kind of breaking that down and making it as practical as we can be uh, by identifying what are our gifts and talents and abilities, identifying what all of our gifts and talents and abilities are, and then merging them together to accomplish what God has called us to do, not just for you as an individual, but for all as a church family. So if you look around and you see the I Find It stickers all over the house, those are people who have said, I've found my serve team. I'm serving. I've found it. I'm, I'm in the midst of what it is I believe God called me to do, at least here. I mean, you may have uh, things that God put you on the planet to out there in the community, but right here in this house, here's a chance for to use your gifts and talents and abilities. And so if you don't have a found it sticker yet, stop by test, by, test Drive. They'll get you started on that journey. But the series really is designed to help us kind of lean in and get real practical nuts and bolts on how do you go about finding your niche in the body of Christ. Before we get into it, I do want to mention night of worship this coming Friday night. I hope you'll make plans to be there for many of you. It'll be your first chance to see the Mount Olive location of the bridge. We're on campus at Mount Olive University, and uh, and the Mount Olive location of the bridge has decided they want to host it, and, and, and we're just really excited about being part of that, bringing all four of our locations together for that night of worship. A lot of the folks that serve here on Sunday mornings in, in Princeton running cameras and lights and sound and all that kind of stuff, they're, they're going to actually come and sit with their families and worship because uh, Mount Olive is pulling off most of that. Of course, there's praise teams from all of our location represented there. So just take advantage of that. Come be a part of that worship night. The, the theme of, of the night of worship uh, this, this time is intimacy with God. And so we're going to be leaning into this idea of be, having an intimate relationship with him. I hope you'll plan to be there Friday night at 7 o'clock Mount Olive campus. Okay, let's get into it. Last week we established that originals are worth more than copies always, and God values us so much that he didn't make any copies. Every one of us are absolutely original. Then we established that not only are we original, but we're, according to the psalmist, wonderfully complex. Then when we come to Jesus Christ, we're made anew in Christ, and we're taken from wonderfully complex all the way to, this, to his masterpiece, and we become this masterpiece of God, this multifaceted masterpiece that God intended to use for his glory, to build his kingdom, and then to celebrate together forever in eternity. And we've identified that the, the many facets of that is found in an acrostic we call niche. So let's rehearse it. Those of you that are with us for the first time today, you'll get introduced to it. But here we go. Uh, N stands for natural abilities. We talked about that last week. I stands for individuality. We'll break that one down today. C stands for charisma gifts. That word charisma in the Greek simply means grace. So these are the gifts that you get by the grace of God that he gives you as a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not a natural ability that came when you were born. It's a gift that he gave you as a follower of Jesus Christ. H stands for 
heart, and those are the things that you're naturally passionate about, those natural motivators. You have a heart in this area or that area. We'll talk about that one on that Sunday. And then finally, E stands for experience, and simply put, every experience in our lives, good, bad, and ugly, God weaves it into the pattern for good to help to direct us toward his purposes in life. He doesn't necessarily cause all those experiences. Experiences are often the results of our choices or somebody else's choices. Choices always have consequences, but God never wastes a hurt. He never wastes a life lesson. He uses it all, works it all into a pattern for good to help us figure out why he put us on this planet and fulfill his purposes for our lives. I introduced just very briefly last week. I won't belabor the point, but I, but I do want to make this as personal as I can. Uh, I had the amazing privilege of being directed and discipled very young, and the result is I found my niche 40 none of your business years ago, and, and there is a fulfillment that comes from knowing this is what God made me to do. Okay, I'm not good at this stuff and this stuff, but that's okay because I know why I'm here. I know what I'm supposed to be doing with my one and only life, and there's just something uh, that, that rises up inside of you. It's not an arrogance, but there's something that rises up inside of you when you know I'm doing something based on what God put me here to do, and he's going to anoint those efforts, and he's going to take it past what I'm capable of simply because this is what he made me for he wants me to succeed. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's lean into this series. Let's real practical nuts and bolts kind of stuff. Let's dig into it and learn as much as we can about it. Today, we're talking about the I, which stands for individuality or your individual personal personality type. Hey, any of you ever done any studies on personality types or temperaments? Any of you? handful of you, a few of you. There's lots of books out there, lots of ways that it gets approached. There's Myers-Briggs. Anybody ever heard of Myers-Briggs? Corporate world uses Myers-Briggs sometimes. Oh, military world might use that. There's, there's DISC. Anybody heard of DISC? Some of you heard of DISC. Uh, there's uh, there, there's uh, Tim LaHaye's Spirit-Filled Temperament that talks about, you know, cholerics and phlegmatics and all this. So there's lots of different terms for it. But no matter who the expert is, there are typically four types of personalities. There's only four on the planet, and every one of us are a combination of those four types. Some more dominant than others, but together that begins to give us direction in our niche profile and understanding of who we are. What I want to know is what Jesus say about it. Every now and then somebody will say to me, Jim, that's just, that's sociology, that's psychology. What's that got to do with the Bible? Well, let's find out what Jesus said. Mark chapter 12, verse 30. You can follow along on the screens. You can bring your Bible. You can go to the Bridge NC app and follow along. In fact, all of the notes are there. You can email me later, info at bridgechurch.cc. I'll send you my notes. Be glad for you to have it. But let's follow along. Let's get into the scriptures. Mark chapter 12, verse 30 from the NIV. Here we go. Read it together uh, out loud. One, two, three, go. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. What four, what, how many types do you see there? You see four types. And the bottom line of what, you want, what I want you to hear is God said the most important thing. You see, this is an answer to a question. Jesus, what's most important? And he said, oh, that's simple. Love the Lord your God. But more than that, he said, no matter what type you are, your number one assignment is to love the Lord your God. And second, love your neighbor as yourself. 
So in the time we have today, I just want to take a few minutes to walk through the characteristics of those four. We're going to use Jesus' terms and unpack them a little bit. Again, you, depending on which author, you can find different terms for these four things. But I want to walk through them. And what I need you to understand is that every personality type has strengths. Every personality type has weaknesses. And so there are warnings that we need to be aware of because one of the mistakes I see people make is they say, well, you know, I, I'm a high D personality or, I, or, or I'm a choleric or whatever term you want to use. I'm, I'm a thinker. I'm a judgmental person using Myers-Briggs. Once they kind of get that, it becomes a label that limits them for the rest of their lives. He says, well, I, I, you know, I can't do that because I am this personality. Well, here's what I need you to hear me say if you don't hear anything else today. Jesus said the number one thing for you to do is love God no matter which personality or mix of personalities he has created in you. Got it? Everybody got it? That's our job is to love him. But the better we understand ourselves, the better we can understand how to do that. By the way, if you aren't sure what your type is, uh, there's a website you can go to. There it is on the screens. It's in, again, the Bridge NC app. Go to the website and, and click on Serve. Uh, that link is there. We can walk you through. Every week we're going to be giving you assessment tools to help you figure out what is your niche profile. So if you don't know your personality test uh, type, then go to that website. It's free and take you about five or ten minutes to go through it. You'll get a sense of, of your predominant dominant and, and secondary uh, types. Okay, you ready to get into it? All right, four types. What are the four types? Heart people. Hello, are you awake? Is this microphone on? Uh, soul people, mind people, and strength people. So you, it wasn't on the screen and you didn't open your app or your Bible, so you didn't know you were working from memory. So let's get into it, okay? Let's look. Heart people tend to love with their words. I say that because over and over and over in the Bible, uh, there's a connection between your heart and the tongue. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, your words show what is in your heart. Now, you understand the implications of that. If you have a problem with, with profanity or vulgarity or telling dirty jokes, that's not just a habit you picked up. It's an indicator of a heart issue. If you have a tendency to exaggerate or, or to be critical or to be overly sarcastic or disrespectful or to lie, that's not just a tongue issue. That's a, that's a heart issue. That's true in the positive as well. Uh, David said, my heart is glad so my tongue will shout his praises. I mean, if praise is ever on your lips, if worship is, are the words that you express, if, if gratitude is there, then that's an indicator of what's really in your heart. But either way, heart people love to talk. Don't look at them, but you know who we are. I said we, not they, because I'm one of them, okay? In fact, we have a hard time not talking. You know, I, I bring notes to the stage, not because I can't think of nothing to say. It's if I don't discipline myself to this, that we'll be here all day because <laughs> hard people love to talk. Can I get an amen? We love to sit and dialogue with people. We love to listen to them. We always have a story to tell. I tell the staff sometimes, guys, I'm so sorry. I got another story, and they're always patient with me. When, they, when, they, when hard people love you, they tell you how with their words. That's what they do. And there's some real strengths that go with that. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18, the words of the wise bring healing. Is that true? 
Sure, the right words at the right time can, can settle a dispute, can give you perspective that you didn't have. It can communicate what's inside that you're struggling to get out. It's one of the reasons that I love music. I love to sing uh, because songwriters have this amazing capacity to put words together that I can then sing, and it communicates what's in my heart, and I can't find the words to do it. That's just it, that's what happens. So I, we're not just talking about songwriters, though. We're talking about we're talking about the teachers and the counselors and the and the preachers and the coaches who help us make sense of life. Thank God for the talkers in our lives. Can I get an amen? How many of you have ever been healed by something somebody said, a word in season, and you were just touched and it was, it was huge for you? Anybody here? Yeah, it's powerful stuff. But there are weaknesses to being a talker too, Proverbs 10, 19. Too much talk leads to, to what? To sin, be sensible and keep your mouth shut, right? The more you talk, the greater the chance is that you're going to say something wrong. So get yourself and others in trouble by talking too much. In other words, words can bring healing or they can bring destruction. So there's strength to the right words that brings healing, but the weakness is too many words, the wrong words can lead to Sin. So what's the warning? I told you we look at strengths, weaknesses, and warnings. Proverbs 17, 27, the man of few words and settled mind is wise. Therefore, even a fool is thought to be wise. When he's silent, it pays him to keep his mouth shut. In other words, and I hear this, some of you need to hear this. I need to remind myself all the time when we talk too much, we think we're being wise. We think we're conveying confidence and intelligence, but quite often we're actually conveying insecurity and dumbness. Sometimes we just need to shut up and listen. Uh, in fact, President Calvin Coolidge said it this way, it's better to close your mouth and be thought a fool than to open it and remove all doubt. <laughs> Hard people love to talk. They communicate their love with their words. And so, heart people, please keep doing that. Uh, don't let me talk you out of using your personality. Just be careful that you don't talk too much. We all know the saying, loose lips sink ships. Well, they sink families and businesses and churches too. Ready to move on? What's the second group of people Jesus said to, to love God? It's soul people. And soul people tend to love with their feelings. The word soul is used in the Bible in many different ways, uh, translated from, from several different Greek words. But a lot of times you see the word soul, it has to do with emotions. You see that a lot, especially in the Psalms. Every emotion known to man is listed in the Psalms. Can I get an amen from the Psalm readers in the house? David wrote most of it, and he was an emotive kind of guy. Talks about his soul a lot. You know, my soul is downcast. My soul is disturbed. My soul is satisfied. My soul is, is, is yearning. He writes, about my soul. Uh, he writes about having a bitter soul and a, 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 and a thirsty soul and a hungry soul and a rejoicing soul, a delighted soul, a longing soul, on and on and on the list goes. Those are all emotive words. Those are all feeling kinds of words. So I guess you figured out hard people are in touch with their words. Soul people are in touch with their feelings. Again, it's one of the, one of the fastest ways for some people 
to engage God is through song. I mean, what we do on Sunday morning, we sing a few songs, is not worship in and of itself. We're singing songs. We're offering them to the Lord. Worship is what happens between you and God as you worship him, adore him, give him the honor that he alone is due. But for a lot of us, songs help us to do exactly that, uh, particularly if you're a soul person. In fact, I see you guys on Sunday morning. I do. I, I see people, you know, in the midst of song sets. Uh, we'll sing a song like some of, some of you remember the song that was popular not too long ago. This is the air I breathe. Your holy presence living in me. Mind people hear that song and they go, I, I don't get that. Of course we breathe air. How stupid is that? Everybody breathes air. You're going to have air to live. Come on. How shallow can a song be, right? Some of the mind people in the rooms are scared to nod your heads, but you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? But the soul people, the feeling people, they're going, this is the air I breathe, and the tears are flowing, and they're just, oh, I'm desperate for you. It's just, it's just this emotion gets caught into it and, it, and it helps them to engage God. Neither of them is right or wrong. It's just we're different. So the key word for hard people is communication. The key word for soul people is compassion. And that's one of the strengths of being a soul person, a feeling kind of person. Soul people tend to be loving. They tend to be people, people. Now, if you tell a talker I'm having a bad day, what are they going to do? They're going to give you an hour and a half lecture on the things that you can do to get out of that mindset that you're in, right? What are feelers going to do? What are soul people going to do? They're going to say, oh, I'm so sorry. Come here and give me a hug. And they're going to love on you for a minute. And there's, there's a right, right place for both of those. You just need to be aware that we're different and we all have a respective role in the world. Remember, what, uh, what comes naturally to some does not come naturally to others. But hear me, we are all called to love in all four ways, Right? So we all need to remember Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. That's not addressed just to soul people. It's addressed to everybody. Read it with me. One, two, three, go. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. God's saying, I've been tender with you. I've been compassionate with you. I've been forgiving to you. Now it's your turn to give that away, whether it comes naturally to you or not. So that's the strength of the soul person, the feeler person, the emotive kind of person. What are some of the weaknesses that feelers struggle with? And just like talkers who find it hard to keep their words in check, soul people sometimes uh, find it difficult to keep their feelings in check, which is why Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Dear friends, I warn you to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. He's saying that there will be a battle in that emotive realm of your life. Just be aware of it. And that's a particularly powerful battle for soul people, for feeler kind of people, for emotive kind of people. Feelers tend to be tempted and they, and they allow their emotions quite often to lead them into places they never would have gone because they didn't stop to think through the implications of their decision. They felt their way through it. Is that true? It's true. Later, they, they, have to, they have to figure out a way to clean up the mess that their emotions created for them. Am I telling you feelings are bad? Somebody say no. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying don't let feelings be the engine of your train. Let them be the caboose. Let truth be the engine of your train. That's why Paul warned us. 
Galatians chapter 5 verse 16. So I say let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. If you'll allow the Holy Spirit of the truth of God's word to be that controlling factor, that defining factor in your life, the guide for your life decisions, then you won't be falling into the trap of letting feelings determine those things for you. Let's move on. Heart people love with, do you remember? Words, they have strengths and weaknesses to that. Soul people love with their feelings, their emotions, again, strengths and weaknesses. What do mind people love with? They tend to love with their intellect. They, they think through things and they're thinkers. These are, these are the planners, the organizers of life. And their greatest strength is that they bring rules and, and policies that hold us all together. These are the detail-oriented people, the structure people in our lives. They make sure that nothing falls through the crack. And I thank God for these people in, in our lives. I really do. It can be a challenge for we feelers to appreciate what they do, but man, how, trouble, how much trouble would we be in if we didn't have them in our lives? Uh, in fact, let's just be honest, sometimes uh, we heart people and soul people, uh, even strength people can get frustrated with with these mind people because we say, come on, get on with it, get with it, let's go, let's go. I mean, talkers want to figure it out as they go, and, and feelers want to feel their way through it, and doers just want to get started. You know, there's so much to do. We're spending so much time planning. Let's just roll. Let's just do this thing. But all of us need to remember, guys, that a river without banks is a swamp. Remember that, that a river and a swamp often have the same amount of water the only difference is there are defined banks in a river and there's life on the banks of the river. Swamp, the water just spreads out and stagnates until death begins to be introduced. The only difference is boundaries. The only difference is banks. And so a relationship without boundaries becomes dysfunctional. A world without order is a world in chaos. Valuing structure, valuing rules, valuing uh, 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 policies and plans and procedures is a part of our maturity. I mean, children hate that stuff, right? Ch children hate rules. They hate plans. It's bedtime now. Ah! Eat your vegetables before your dessert. Why? I don't think that rule applies to me because what are the odds that I'm not going to eat my meal later if I eat my dessert first. I mean, I eat everything in front of me, right? But for children, there's a reason why that rule is in existence. I don't want to do my chores before I play, right? You kind of expect children to do that stuff. But you kind of expect adults to grow out of it. Amen? If you don't, hear me, you're going to chafe at God's laws too. Because God puts boundaries in our lives. It's the healthy thing to do. It's the loving thing to do. Just as parents put boundaries on their children, God puts boundaries on his. And there's a reason why he established those boundaries. It's not to deprive you of the joys of sin. Sure, there's pleasure in sin for a season. Hebrews says that very, very clearly. But, but the pleasure in sin always has a kickback. It always has a consequence. And so God put boundaries there to help us to avoid those consequences. 
And so when you're in a counseling session with Pastor Andy and he says, well, here's what God's word says about that and, and, and your feeling nature says, well, I, I just don't like that boundary. I think you're being judgmental. Understand there's a reason it's in the book. And it all comes out of God's love for you. It all comes out of God's knowledge of where the road you're on is going to lead if you don't live within the boundaries that he has defined. Maturity comes to understand that and wants very much to know what those things are so that they can uh, live in them. Uh, King David, the psalmist, went on this journey. He struggled on this journey. I had a lot of trouble with this journey. Read his life. Read his life story. You'll see a lot of mistakes and, and sin that he fell into. Um, but Psalm 137, uh, 37, 31 says the law of his God is in his heart. His feet do not slip. Eventually, David began to realize if I want to avoid all these pitfalls and problems and the loneliness and the depression that comes from it, I need to understand God's laws. Uh, God gave us those things because he loves us. We need to learn them. When you do, they become the foundation, the firm foundation of your life, which is why it's so important that you quit waiting for the movie to come out to know what's in the Bible. You read the book. The year 2020, we're dedicating to reading the Word of God as a church. The whole year, we're going to be dedicating ourselves to getting into the Word of God. We're talking about discipleship processes in the house that will come online in 2020. We're going to be distributing charts for us to read through the Bible in a year. We're asking all of our folks to let's, let's dig deep. Let's dig deep, get our foundation firm so that we have a platform to go higher. We're going to be focused on this. Why? Because that's ultimately what avoids all of the pitfalls of life. So what are the weaknesses of mind people? James chapter 4, verse 13 through 16. <clears throat> now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city and spend a year there and carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is written, you boast and brag, all such boasting is what? It's evil. You understand what he's saying? James is saying that planners sometimes value their plans more than the people they made the plans for. You can become so prideful of your plan that you forget about the purpose behind it, and if you're not careful, you'll become judgmental of the people who don't plan as well as you do. The legalist of Jesus' day fell into that trap. I mean, they went after Jesus for so many things. One of them, he went, they went after Jesus for healing on the Sabbath, and they said the rule says you don't do this kind of stuff on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, whoa, dude. God. Okay, he didn't say dude. All right, he didn't. That was just me. But he said, wait a minute, stop. Think about this for a minute. God created a system where one day out of seven, man's to rest. Why did he do that? For his health. Because you may, you, you may think that doesn't apply to you, but you go seven days a week for a while and burnout's coming. Relational dysfunction's coming. You go seven days a week. You, you can't violate God's law without it catching up with you. That boundary was there for a purpose. Jesus said God created that standard for your health, and now you're coming after me for establishing a man's health? That you, you completely forgot the reason for the plan to begin with. The system 
has become more important than the people the system was created to serve. Is that making sense? And so if you're a planner person, if you're one of these mind people, God bless you. Thank God for you. We need you, especially us feeler talker guys, we need you in our lives. Just, just don't let yourself fall into the trap of the system having more importance than the people, the plans more important than the people. So the warning to mind people is in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 4. This is what the Lord says. The wise must not brag about their wisdom. The strong must not brag about their strength. The rich must not brag about their money. But if someone wants to brag, let him brag that he understands and knows me. Let him brag that I am the Lord and that I am kind and fair, that I do things that are right on earth. This kind of bragging please me, pleases me, says the Lord. You want to brag, brag on him. Have at it. Talk about how good God is. Be careful that your plans don't become a point of pride in your life. So heart people tend to love with words. Soul people tend to love with feelings or emotions. Mind people tend to love with their intellect, their plans, their ability to, uh, to organize things. Strength people love with their actions. Strength people then love with their actions. Those are the doers in life. Those are the people who say, okay, enough, enough talk, enough singing kumbaya, enough planning this thing out. Let's just get something done. Those are the people, and we all know who they are, and we thank God for them. Their greatest strength is, is Psalm 116, verse 16. I like the way the message paraphrases it. Oh, God, here I am, your servant, your faithful servant. Set me free for your service. Pastor Jim paraphrased, put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. I don't just want to watch history. I don't want to just study history. I want to make history. Put me in the game. Let's go. Let's do something. Their motto in life is, get her done. Right? Thank God for doers among us. Can I get an amen? But they got weaknesses too. Psalm 127, verse 2. It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. Doers can very easily get drawn into the idea that Christianity is about doing stuff. They can very easily get drawn into this idea. Did I do enough stuff today for God to love me? It can become a list of do's and don'ts. And in the process, forget all about the reality that Christianity at the end of the day is about a relationship with the God of the universe. At the end of the day, Christianity is about becoming someone, someone who's like Jesus. It's not about what we do. It's about who we are. It's easier to get lost for a doer. The scriptures are very clear. God doesn't need us to do stuff. He spoke and the world came into existence. I mean, what exactly does he need us to do? He gives us stuff to do because it is in the doing of it that we learn things about ourselves, that we get into relationship with other people, that we're put into proximity with other people, that we bring our gifts and talents to the table to mesh with other people's gifts and talents so that the body of Christ becomes, Ephesians chapter 1 says, a habitation of the Lord, the place where the Holy Spirit dwells. That's why he gives us stuff to do, not because he can't just do it himself. It's a, it's a means to an end. 
Remember when Jesus was asked what's the most important thing, he didn't say do a bunch of stuff. What did he say? Love God. Love your neighbors yourself. That's why his warning, quite frankly, to every type is very clearly established during Jesus' time on earth. Matthew chapter 11 is one of my favorite passages. I particularly like the way the message paraphrases this passage. Let's read it together. And we'll come back and break it down just a little bit and we'll wrap up our time. Jesus said, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Do, Do you see all four types in there? Think about it with me for a minute, and perhaps you will. If you're a talker, Jesus might well be saying to you, talk a little less, walk with me and listen. You might learn something. Just close your mouth, listen, be still, and know that I am God. If you're a feeler, Jesus might be saying in this passage, don't just make it up as you go. Learn how I do it. No one on earth had ever been more intentional than Jesus Christ himself. He came with a purpose, and and it's almost like bookends on his life. On the cross, he says, it is finished. But go back to the early days when he was 12, and he's in Jerusalem at, at the feast with his family, and his family looks around, and he's gone, and it takes them three days to find him. When they find him, he's in the temple teaching the scribes and the the teachers of the law, and he's a 12-year-old, and they're teaching them. And Mary comes and says, boy, what have you done? You're driving us crazy. You've been gone for three days. And his answer to her was, anybody know? It was, don't you know that I have to be doing what my father put me here to do? That's bookends on his life. No one ever lived a more intentional life than Jesus' time on earth even before the foundations of the world. The Bible says that he was the lamb slain for our sins because God knew he created a system where we'd have freedom of choice and that we would mess it up. So from the very beginning, he created a system whereby we could be redeemed. We could be brought back into fellowship with him. And it cost the very life of his son because the wages of sin is, what is it? It's death. But the gift of God is eternal life. So Jesus, from the very beginning of time, before the foundations of this world were laid, before God spoke and the world came into existence, it was purposed that Jesus lived this life of purpose and meaning. And while he's here from age 12 to age 32 or 3, everything was within the parameters of those two bookends. My meat is to do the will of My Father who sent me, he said. So he might well be saying to us feelers, just calm your emotions for a minute and look at me and get a little more purpose-oriented, a little purposeful in what you're doing with your one and only life. Make sure it has eternal value to it. If you're a thinker, and Jesus might be saying, don't just learn information, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love that phrase. 
the unforced rhythms of grace. Don't just learn what the Bible says. Don't just learn the rules of the Bible. Don't just learn the boundaries that God set. Don't just learn the, the, the strictest letter of the law. In fact, Paul's really clear. The law leads to death. It's grace that leads to life. So don't just learn the law. Learn grace. That's why Peter said, grow in grace and truth. To balance those two things. If you're not careful, you're a mind person, you'll be focused on all the laws and forget that at the end of the day it's about grace. And again, the judgmental thing kicks in because I'm keeping the laws better than you are. That's what the Pharisees fell into. If you're a doer, Jesus might well be saying to you, work, sure, of course. Do stuff that I gave you the, the, the niche profile to do, the natural abilities, the, the personality type, the, ultimately the gifts and the motivators and the experiences. Do that stuff, but don't forget in the process to do life with me. Don't leave me in the shuffle while you're off doing stuff because I've seen people serve in churches where they forgot the reason that they're serving. It become, the service becomes an end in itself ceases to be an act of worship. It ceases to be an expression of who I am in Christ. And so just out of this one passage, he looks at all four types, all of whom, all of which are represented in this house right now. My prayer is that as we work our way through this niche profile processes and we understand more and more about why God put us on this planet, that we will in fact find those areas of service that we're specifically designed for, and then we'll organize ourselves. I believe that my number one job as your pastor, I was going to say something else, but let me tell you first, my number one job as your pastor is to pray. That's my number one job. Most important thing I do is pray for you, and I do. Most important thing I do is pray for this staff and for this city where God's planted us, and I do. That's the most important thing I do. I think the next most important thing I do is make sure you get a relationship with Jesus and you start living out the purpose that he put you on this planet to do. So our job is to find gifted people and match them with valid needs and watch God do amazing, amazing things through the one and only life that we have. I found it. I want you to find it too. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being so intentional about this process that we can read your word and understand the journey to finding out not just when we were born, but why we were born. So I pray that every one of us in this room and those that are watching online right now, that we would pause for just a moment and say, Lord, help me to understand that first and foremost, my purpose in life is to love you and then love my neighbor as myself. Then help me to understand, Lord, that the way that gets lived out, the way that gets expressed, is by identifying the multifaceted masterpiece that you made me to be, find my niche in the body of Christ and serve. Thank you, Lord, for the people that have found it and are serving you, whether they're ever known or seen or not. By man, they are known and seen by you. And I pray that across this room, those folks would feel your love and your gratitude and your appreciation and your power 
running through their bodies, filling up their souls. And then I pray that each one of us, beginning this journey by establishing a relationship with you, would find your purpose for our lives too. In Jesus' name. Keep your heads bowed for just a minute. I do want to lead you in a prayer. The altars will be open in a minute. Our prayer team's here. They'd love nothing better than to pray with you. But at the very least, would you pray a simple prayer with me? Go something like this. Lord, I, I, I want to know you. I love you a little. I want to love you more. I know a little bit about your purpose for me. I want to know as much as I can. And when I have that sense of purpose, give me the courage, the strength, the health to step out and fulfill it for your glory, the building of your kingdom. Father, you know who's praying. You know exactly what's going on in their lives. You know what the obstacles are. Would you help them to know that you even want to use that as a part of their niche profile? And then use us for your glory. Give us the fulfillment that comes from it. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Stand with me, would you? If you prayed that prayer with me this morning, I'd really love to know. You can check a box, write a note, put I prayed on your Connect card. The ushers are at the door. They'll take your Connect card on your way out. They, they build this list for me every week, and I sit at my desk, and I spend time praying for you by name. So please take advantage of that opportunity. Drop it in the basket. If you've got a question, there's boxes you can check. One of the staff will be in touch with you, help you get started on this journey. We, we just want to help you on this journey to be able to say, I found it. And I'm doing what God purposed for my life. Take advantage of the resources that are available to you. We want to help you get there, okay? Again, the altars are open. Some of you need to pray with somebody today. Don't leave this place. No matter what's going on, you came to connect with God. Don't leave leaving out this missing element. Come pray with somebody who loves you. Father, go with us from this place. Give us the simple sense that we walk with you, do life with you, that we're walking in the unforced rhythms of grace, fulfilling your purposes for our lives in the process. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next Sunday. We'll see you Friday night.